0: This is the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church for the work of ministry. Hope it will help you as well. All right, uh, we're going to do this so once again The in the morning time going through the Proverbs, but there are a whole lot of financial Proverbs if you're not aware. There's a lot of them. We're not going to get to all of them on, on Sunday mornings, so we're going to look at a few more of them on Sunday evening. But also what we're going to do is that we're going to get real, real practical. There's going to be some stuff I'll give you kind of some Big picture stuff in the morning, but then in the evening for these five weeks, we're going to unpack some things. uh, And once again, I mentioned this morning that some of it's going to seem so elementary and kind of things that some of you guys have said, oh, I've known this forever. And some of it may be something that could literally change a life. Uh, Think about some of those principles that sometimes we take for granted that might be very very beneficial for somebody else and so we're going to get very practical over these next few weeks as far as uh, even how to make a, a monthly budget how to get out of debt how to plan for the future how much you should you have saved back all those kind of fun stuff that i um we're going to be relying on god's word and a whole lot of other people's wisdom to walk through uh, and there's going to be also sometimes let me make sure you know that i'm going to say i'm going to stand hard and fast on god's word on this issue And some of this stuff is preference or just opinion. Does that make sense? And I'll make sure that we differentiate between the two, because sometimes I'll hear somebody speak on behalf of God's word, and they'll talk about finances, and I go, that's good, that's wise, I just don't know if that's biblical. Does that make sense? So we'll make sure that we always differentiate if we're saying, here's a biblical principle that you need to apply And here is just a practice that may be helpful for you in how we lay it out. So um, tonight what we're going to be looking at uh, is looking just to sort of having that balancing your, your finances one of the things I think is very critical for us to do. You always think about balancing your checkbook, right? Or it's funny because I even say that, and now how outdated that sounds. How many of you still balance a checkbook? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you do. Some of you're like, "What's well, a checkbook?" Okay, some of you cannot find a check if you wanted to. That's right. Let's be honest. Like, well, where are those things anymore? Um, and I, and so there's there's a lot of, of things that that are changing. But I can remember uh, when Amanda and I got married. Uh, she was this uh, very much organized penny pincher, um, check, you know, book balancer, whatnot. And I was just one who just, I, I didn't spend a lot. I just didn't know exactly where all the receipts were, if that makes sense to you. Okay. Like I, I, I just didn't, I never, and one of the things Amanda's always said, she goes, you don't spend a lot of money, but whatever you like, is always expensive. I like musical instruments. Right. And they just sort of cost more money. So if I spent something, it was like, well, that's, that's, that's a lot. And so, uh, but for her, we got married, and our conviction was we're going to have one bank account. And so I can remember that, that one time in marriage. It was just so funny. First year, we're sitting there in our little double-wide trailer, just loving life. And she said, hey, I'm balancing the checkbook. And I was like, that's such a great thing. Thank you, wife. And she said, uh, did you spend any money today? And I said, yeah, I, spent, I, went, to, I went to La Hacienda for lunch today. She goes, oh, what did you, do you have a receipt? I was like, "Ah, oh, receipt. Um, it's somewhere. She goes, oh, that's good. And I said, well, I, if it helps, I got a Speedy Gonzales with rice, and I got water to drink instead of sweet tea. Oh, that's good. So, do you know what it was? Yeah, it was four-something. She goes, huh, four-something. And I was like... She's putting this down in the checkbook, and I'm thinking, my radar's going up, guys. Like, maybe I'm in trouble here, right? And, and there was this sense of we, we sort of had this issue where she was very, very detailed and wanted to see things, and yet she had seen a lot of people in her life have a lot of uh, marriages and families and a lot of things that had downfall because people weren't concerned about the pennies, if that makes sense. You, you, a lot of times there, there's an old saying that if you take care of the pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. And, and she was really concerned that I wasn't taking care of the pennies, and she was really worried, like, hey, is this guy going to be able to figure out what to do whenever whenever we want to get a house, or have kids, or get a vacation, or, or pay for this education? Like, is he going to be, you know, thinking about this? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. And so she even said these words, and it was, this is going to be part marriage and part financial, but I can remember her saying to me, why don't you love me enough to care about our finances? And I thought, what in the world? I just got speedy with rice. Like, you know, woman, please give me a break, right? This like, this isn't that big of a deal. But for her, for a woman, I think, for most women, their greatest need is security. They just need to know everything's all right. Somebody's watching over them, right? Somebody's checking into things. And so I realized that I could either make her miserable or I needed to change. So I changed. I got a Dave Ramsey book. Uh, called the Total Money Makeover uh, that we had to drive somewhere over the weekend. I said, you drive and I'm going to read. And by the time we had landed in that place, I was having to do a wedding. I was a money master. Okay. Like I I had figured it all out. Dave had put me on a, on a, you know, speedy course and I'd figure things out. But I'll say this, there were some things in that first book that I read on finances. The first book I'd ever read I guess I was uh, 23 probably at the time. First time I'd ever read a book on finances. First time anybody ever really trained me in finances. And there were some things that I read in that book. I thought, this is so simple. Why don't I know this, right? Like, and it really was life-changing for me. And if I think back over our story, there were some things, can I tell you, we would have had to say no to that God was asking us to do if we had not taken care of stuff way back here. There were some financial decisions First few years of marriage that we made a pretty hard and fast call on that if we looked seven, eight years in the future and an opportunity came up, we'd have had to say no because we hadn't taken care of these things. And so uh, one of the things that, once again, some people love Dave Ramsey. Some people, he gets on their nerves because he's really mean to other people. And some of you are like, go get him Dave. You know, it just depends on how you're wired, right? But one of the things that he says, and, and I might mess up his catch line, but he says, live like no one else today so that you can live like no one else tomorrow. And the big picture is this, do some hard stuff today, make some hard calls, be, be, skimp a little bit if you need to, so that therefore you're not going to be hindered later in the future. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you some things that can help you start thinking differently how you live today, hopefully so it will help you out uh, tomorrow. As you look there on your sheet, a couple uh, introductory comments, we, we tend to polarize financial convictions But the Bible provides surprising wisdom to obtain balance. So a lot of times, as I mentioned this morning, we're going to hit a couple of these. But I think a lot of times people like to polarize things. Well, you're either this or this. And I think the Bible helps us have a good balance, okay? I'm not talking about balancing your checkbook now. But a good balanced approach to how we need to do finances. And if we learn God's financial perspective, we will benefit from obeying biblical practices. I'll probably say this a bunch over the next few weeks. And I will not apologize for repeating it. God's instructions for your finances are for your joy and not uh, to be against it. He's not a killjoy. He's for your joy. He wants you to be able to enjoy life to the fullest, and so therefore he gives us some wisdom uh, in it. So I want us to look at a few Proverbs here, and I, I wrote them out for you. You can obviously open up your Bible to look at them, but just some general things. This is Proverbs Proverbs 8, verses 10 through 11. It says, Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. And that's, a, that's a beautiful statement, right? And I can remember years ago, there was a guy that had come to Christ. And when I say he was brand, brand new to the faith, like he got his first Bible and he goes so, and he just starts reading and trying to figure things out. And I can remember he got overwhelmed uh, early on in, in the first few pages of the Bible. And so someone had encouraged him. Why don't you read something to be a little bit easier for you to sort of jump into, right? So they told him to get Proverbs. Why don't you start reading Proverbs? So he was loving Proverbs. He was loving Proverbs. But he kept coming up that last word of verse 11 there. It says, you may desire, uh, cannot compare with what? With her. And he keeps saying throughout the book of Proverbs, like, pursue her and find her. And he, so I remember he came to me and goes, who is this woman that this guy's talking about? Like, just show me where she's at. And I'll find her, whatever, right? And I said, no, no, no. Like, wisdom is, is this personification. And a lot of times the book of Proverbs will say her as in, like, kind of lady wisdom, right? It's this ideal. It's this pursuit that you're doing. And the idea is this, is that if you have wisdom— It's better than having a whole stockpile of silver or gold or jewels. Why? Because you can be wise with what you have. It helps us sort of think through this, that wisdom is even better uh, than choice gold. It's better than jewels because I guarantee this, if you live wisely, you can do more with less than some people can do with even having more. Um, I think back to one of my friends who's in the ministry, and he's in a, a very um, kind of—he uh, he started serving in a very small country church, and part of the deal—some of you know this—a um, lot, lot of churches have a parsonage as kind of the package, right, where they'll work, and so like it's like, hey— you're going to live here, but you can't put up any kind of blinds on the house unless this group of women tell you you can put the blinds up. And so you, that, that was kind of how hey, they started out their marriage and whatnot. And he, and the wife was saying, I just want blinds on my house so these little ladies across the street can't see me. And I go, I think that's why they don't want you to have blinds. They want to be able to see what you're doing at all times. And so they would, they'd come in, they'd have their keys to the house, they'd come and go whenever they want to, and it didn't matter what time of the day, they'd pop in and whatnot. And I can remember, though, as he started out, the parsonage, and it was a very small salary. It was interesting. His wife was staying at home with their children, and they had very, very close friends. Um, One was a doctor, and one was a teacher. Both of the parents were working. And yet, so you would think about the two of them, who had more money? Well, you'd say, well, obviously. The doctor and the teacher that are working together versus this country preacher, they wouldn't have anything. It was interesting. He said, Trav, you won't believe this. He said, somehow, whenever we talk about finances, they are stressed out to no end. They're in more debt than they can. They they can barely make their minimum payments on all this stuff. And he goes, and we're going to have a nice vacation, and we don't have any debt right now in our life. Now, we, we make a fraction of what these two make, and yet we're at peace. Well, why is that? Because he was using biblical wisdom. And so it's saying, look, it's even better than having gold, silver, or jewels, or any kind of financial things, right? Because if you can apply wisdom to your situation, you will benefit greatly. Second verse there is Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16, where it says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. That's good. <laughs> better is a little with the fear of the Lord. That means it's better to just have a little bit of stuff right in your bank account, but yet possess a fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and trouble with it. Um, I I think through, I kind of mentioned I I think one of the services this morning but uh, but our, our first, we lived in that double wide trailer, the only two bills I had it was an electric, electricity bill um, and a cell phone bill. Those were the days. I miss those days. They were, it was great, wonderful times, right? Uh, and yet, you know, as we think through it, I can even remember, like, we had a TV, but I had, I had rabbit ears on the TV. We didn't have internet. I wasn't paying for anything. I was eating ramen noodles almost every night. We were saving money. We didn't have a lot, but we were saving, and we were happy, right? And, and so yeah, I think it is this, that better is a little with the fear of the Lord, that it's, it's okay if you don't have that much. Because honestly, it's better if you can have all of your finances right tucked away in a proper place. And that is in the fear of the Lord. Knowing this, this has been given to me. And I am responsible for what I do with it. And God sees what I'm doing with it. So I want to even have have little. I want to do better with it with the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and trouble with it. You can have a whole lot and have a whole lot of trouble as you go. Uh, The third one is from Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 and 4. It says, By wisdom, a house is built... And by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. That's a beautiful uh, couple Bible verses, honestly, to put anywhere in your house, but to be a reminder of what God's word does, right? That wisdom, a house is built. And when you you see that, okay, let's think practical, and let's also think spiritual, because I think there's probably implications of both. Is a wisdom, is, is a house built by physical, like mental wisdom? The answer is, well, yeah. But also is a spiritual home built by wisdom? The answer is absolutely. So there's the physical nature of that house. But there's also the spiritual nature of this house. I think he's saying, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. When you think through what can be precious and pleasant riches in your house, okay, you probably think of, well, you got a favorite chair, maybe, right? <laughs> favorite electronic device. What, what, are, what are some of the other precious things that might be in a home, anybody? I want to take a, say it again. Huh? Children. Children. There's a good one, right? Uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 127 says, Children are a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. They're blessed. And some of you are like, No, I, I got a house full of them, right? They're I'm running everywhere. Sometimes I step on one, right? They're, they're everywhere. And yet, when you think through that, By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Can you think of something more valuable than having kids and grandkids and family members in your house? It's a gift. There's, there's, there's no way to put a price tag on that, right? There's so many things like that. So there are physical things. There are people that you want to. There are spiritual legacies that you're passing on with that. I can think through. We had, um, in our, in our, um, when we were in Greenwood, we had this uh, piece of art that was over our mantle. And it was, um, we got it when uh, we just had two kids. Gloria hadn't been born yet. And it was this picture of just two arrows They sort of crossed, and we had it over our mantle. Because of that Psalm 127, it says, talking about children, it says this, that uh, blessed is the one who fills his quiver with kids. You know, fill your quiver with them. And what's the idea? Saying, look, a, a good archer, a good warrior knows this. If I have arrows in my quiver, I can send them further than what I can ever go myself. That's the point of parenting, right? Let me send them out to do things that I can never do to send them further, faster than where I could ever be. And and so with that, you know, that was for us, this is kind of like grounding thing. Like as we have these children, these are precious presents from God that we want to steward well. Everything in your house uh, that God has given is a good gift that you need to make sure that you're using discernment with. This next proverb, chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. There's a good line there. And when you say a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, that's not saying, by the way, you like or dislike what your parents named you, okay? I think when it says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, I think it's saying this. You want to end the your life that when, when you go away and your name is mentioned, it causes people to rejoice rather than be frustrated. I mean let's be honest, I could probably say a name right now that some of you'd go, oh, my stress level just went up just thinking about it, right? Well, Amanda, can I tell you this? Amanda taught um, uh, music in, in elementary school uh, before while we had children. And when she, so she had about seven 800 kids uh, a year, right? And she, she had it where she almost memorized all their names, but it was interesting. She always had this desire to name, if she ever had a little girl, she was gonna name this little girl Olivia, that was the goal. She's like, I've always loved that name, Olivia. But she had this one little hellion of a girl. That that name, Lisa, you know what I'm talking about, that they can ruin it, right? You hear that name. It's not like sweet rejoicing. Now, we love little Livy Smoke here. But I'm just saying, but, but for us, like that name just ruined we, we could not. We looked at Gloria like, no, there's no way. Because that name, it represented something, right? Can I just say this? Every single one of us, our name represents something to people around us. They hear our name, and their mind goes somewhere. They start thinking about certain things, certain traits. And he says this, you, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. You can have a whole lot of money in the world, but guess what? If people hear your name and they shrug or feel stressed out or they feel disappointed, well, it's, it's better to have just a little, but at least your name be intact, right? To have that reputation. He says, better than uh, silver or gold, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. He's in charge. And, and so, once again, so many different proverbs that we go into, but I want to talk about some unhelpful polarizations as we go down this list because I think a lot of times we like to separate two different areas and we try to find that biblical balance, right? So the first one is this. Well, I mentioned this earlier today, but the difference between prosperity gospel versus poverty gospel. These are two major, uh, I would say, things that are movements that are going on in our world today. Uh, The prosperity gospel, and I I know for some of us, we might come from a place where that's been something upheld, something that's sort of been out there. Here's the danger that I see with the the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is this. If you just have enough faith, God wants to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Right? Wants to give you everything that you want, wants to put favor in your life, and you just need to have more faith, and he wants to do those good things. The, The problem with that is this, is that it takes away, the gospel is not addressing your soul anymore. It's addressing your health. It's addressing your wellness. It's addressing more so your stuff than your soul. That's what happens when you start focusing on the prosperity gospel. The other problem that comes with that is, have you ever known anybody who really loved the Lord and followed the Lord and obeyed the Lord and had bad stuff happen to them? How about the Apostle Paul? Anybody? Remember him? The Apostle Paul, uh, shipwrecked, beaten, imprisoned for doing what? God's will. One time he had a thorn in his flesh, not, we don't think, literally, But there's something that was annoying him so bad. Some people think it was bad eyesight. Some people think it was depression. Some people think it was his loneliness. They don't know. But he said, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, I have asked the Lord three times, will he just take this burden from my life? Now, if anybody should be getting their prayers answered, come on. The guy wrote the book of Romans, right? I mean, he got shipwrecked. He got beaten up, and he keeps going back into town sharing the gospel with the people who are beating him up. Like, if anybody should get a thorn out of his flesh, it should be Paul. And he says, I've asked the Lord three times to take it away. And he said, no. He says, why? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. And Paul says, so most gladly, therefore, I will boast of my weaknesses, my insults, my difficulties, my persecutions, my distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. So here's the thing. Paul was someone who followed the Lord and yet had bad things happen to him. Can you think of somebody else? Jesus? Jesus? did Jesus live a perfect life? Absolutely. Did he ever sin? No. Did he experience mistreatment, pain, agony, separation, isolation? Absolutely. And so if he did that, how do you think that we're going to get off that, right? The issue is this, I've had a dear friend who got caught so much in the prosperity gospel that says God wants to make your, your house bigger and your financial account better and all these different things, that whenever they, that didn't happen and they got demoted instead of promoted, they lost money versus got money, here's the thing that happened to them. When they would go to their pastor and say, I don't know what's going on, the pastor has this good, fail-safe uh, response. Well, you just don't have enough faith then. If you had more faith, you'd be all right but apparently it's you, it's not the Lord, it's, it's just you. you, you've done something wrong, and the person goes, oh, that, that, that's why I'm on, I'm just here to tell you, that, 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 that prosperity gospel, and I want to say this, it's not a saving gospel, it is a stuff gospel, give me stuff God, because if you come to God for money, he's not your God, money is, right, if you're coming to God for money, God's not your God, money's your God, Stuff is your God. And so you have to be very careful here. So what happens in church, we always have this prosperity gospel that goes over here. And so then the other side, we swing that pendulum way to the other side called the poverty gospel. God wants you miserable and poor. Don't want you to eat. Don't want you to have any kind of air conditioning in your house, any blankets on your bed. You are miserable for Jesus' sake. Right? Some of you all are like, I know that person, right? Like, and and we, they think that stuff is bad. Here's where I think we have to somewhat see this. Um, we can look, uh, there, there are times, I'll, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I've returned from a mission trip and I can get sick to my stomach going into a mall. I see what people are living in and I come back to a mall and I just go, this is ridiculous. I've come back off a mission trip and come to a family gathering where we had more food than we knew what to do with and I didn't, I couldn't enjoy it. It was, it was, a, it was a real burden for me. Now, this is where I had to step back and go, this is a blessing and I don't want to disregard it, Right? Like, I need to say thank you, God, for it, but I don't need to expect it either. So there's somehow, there, there has to be this balance. And so between the prosperity gospel and the poverty gospel, I would say the balance is like the properly gospel, where you're saying, okay, properly, how do I think through this, right? Well, if you have been blessed, it is proper to be a blessing. It's proper. It's good and right. If God has blessed you, therefore, it is proper, it is good, it is right to say, now, how can I be a blessing to someone else? For all those times where I say, you know what, um i heard someone one time that was kind of, uh, there were a couple of pastors that were debating on an issue about finances and whatnot, and someone saying, hey, you need to sell everything you have, and you don't need to have a whole lot of money. And the person asked them this question. They said, have you ever been to seminary? I said, yeah. How many degrees did you get? Well, I, I got about two or three different degrees. He goes, who paid for that? Uh, some well-off financial people in my life. So finances weren't bad then, now were they? Now, some people have said, okay, well, I need to go on a mission trip. Well, who's going to fund that, right? Who's going to pay for those things? So money in itself is not not evil. And so once again, you have to say, okay, if I've been blessed, it's not that I have to, like, be so advancing my own agenda like the prosperity gospel, and I don't also have to do without, like, the poverty gospel. If I'm blessed, it's proper to be a blessing. Um, Here's from 2 Corinthians 9, uh, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So when you are, God is giving you an abundance of things, you are having the opportunity now to help someone else abound. And, and so I think it was such, such a beautiful thing, but some of you know this. Uh, have you ever had to be the recipient of somebody's goodwill in your life? They're helping you out, okay? I've been there too. And then there's something real special when you get to a place in your life, you get to help somebody else out, Right? I laugh. This is there's a lady that I, um, uh, me and her son were best friends growing up, and I can remember I was about 16 year old. Um, I had a um, 1988 Bronco II. Y'all remember those Bronco 2, Those little small little cars. Oh man, it was great. I was so excited. Uh, I had you know just worked a few days or you know at a few different jobs, but even at this, this is where I'm saying we always got to get perspective, right? I had a single parent income. My mom was a teacher, and at 16, I had a Bronco 2, right? I mean, I, I was I was well off, okay? I was riding in style. I was thankful for that car. My friends had more expensive cars, but that thing ran, and it had a good little tape cassette system in it, right? Okay, and so I can just remember those good days, and I can remember also one day that I, I got out of church as a 16-year-old, and I see this um, woman in our church that she was out there trying to get her car started, and she had about two or three young kids with her, and um, and her car's busted up, whatever, so... As a 16-year-old, I was like, well, she needs it more than me. So I go out there, and I give her my keys. I go, here, you just take this. She's like, Travis, I can't take your car. I was like, I'll be fine. I'll get a ride with somebody. It's not a big deal. Well, that, still to this day, I'll have people come up and say, Miss Wilson always tells us about that day that you gave her your car. Now, in reality, yes, I gave her the keys, but did I give her my car (laughs) I didn't pay a dollar for that car, right? This is something that God and my mama (laughs) said, here, you're responsible for, but if you don't keep your grades up, guess what? I get the keys back, okay? Like, at any moment, that car was gone. But isn't it funny? I gave her something that, honestly, I was just kind of a steward of. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had been blessed so that I could help somebody else out. I could bless it. In the same way, anything that we give, right, it's always we have to be reminded it has been given to me first. I've received it first and foremost, right? So let's look at this next one. Uh, ownership versus non-possession. What I mean by that is there's a lot of people who would think that if you have something, it's yours. You work for it. You deserve it. Nobody can take it from you. And I say the other kind of, uh, I would say the pendulum swings to the other side of non-possession where once again people say, well, you don't need to have anything and you should just rent this and live off the land and, and borrow and whatnot. And, and so there could be a lot of Honestly, complications on both sides, right? And there's a lot of complications. And so here's where I think the balance is. This is something called stewardship, where we remember that God owns absolutely everything, but he allows you to oversee some of it. He owns absolutely everything. Um, Carl, one of your favorite verses, right, is, uh, my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and what's your follow-up to it? That's right. And he also owns a thousand hills, right? God owns everything. So, so that, that old psalm, right? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He also owns the hills. He, he owns everything. And so if I say, look at my house, my bank account, my car, my... guy goes, hold on a second. <laughs> that that can be taken from you real, real quick here, okay? It can be. It's, it's So uh, in the same way, I don't think, folks, uh, we'll get in this a little bit more, but I know some people go, you know what? It's It's just wrong just to own anything, and you just need to do this. Well, I can also make a pretty biblical case that I would say if I have the opportunity to pay rent on something or pay a mortgage payment that one day I will be able to pass on to ministry efforts or to my children, I know what's probably wiser, right? So there's all types of ways that you can... You fumble your way through it, and it seems very simple when somebody polarizes it to this side or that side. But the stewardship piece is this. God owns absolutely everything, but he allows you to oversee some of it. So when, I, when God says you are a steward, it's kind of like someone who says a steward was someone who had responsibility for the king's land or the king's possessions. It wasn't theirs, but they acted as if they were responsible for it. And as Jesus would sometimes teach in parables, he would come to people who were stewards, and if they had not done well with what he would given, what would happen to the master? he get upset. What are you doing? I gave you this. To do what? Sit around and stare at it? No. I wanted you to go and use it, to advance it, to do something beneficial with it, right? So here's here's another one. Uh, verse. This is a little bit longer, but 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 and 12 says, "'Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all.'" Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Who owns it all, everybody? God does. So when we look at it, we're always somebody who's a steward. We're a manager. It doesn't belong to us. Um, What you have one day will be given to somebody else, right? First, right after, I feel like I'm going down to like... Timeline with you guys, like talking through. But once we were, um, we had we gone through all of our little, um, the time that that lady, I felt like she was speaking Chinese to me at the mortgage meeting. I mean, I'm, I literally, I'm so stressed out. We uh, we were moving into our, our first home that we had, we were purchasing, and I can remember we go to closing on this little house, and we we were so so excited. We meet this couple from Michigan that are the ones selling the house. And, um, and when we, we walk into the lawyer's office, we go there in the waiting room, and, and it's the couple, and I can tell they're having a fight. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm a pastoral counselor. I can help, right? This is the problem. She was ready to move. He was not. And they are about ready to sign the paper, and they're still in a fight. And I'm thinking, this ain't good. Because <laughs> y'all would have had to have both signatures on this. And he is angry. And I said, well, what's the problem? And he said, we moved down south so I could play golf every day after retirement. And now because one grandbaby shows up north, we gotta change everything. And I and so I look at Amanda, I'm thinking we got problems. Like, this This may not go down. Like, we're, we're really, and, and so they're just, I mean, they're at it. They're back and forth. They're jawing at each other. I'm sitting here going, oh, my goodness, right? And and so, anyway, we went through the whole process. They actually, eventually, they, they went through with it. I don't know how their marriage is doing right now. Hopefully, they're enjoying grandkids, or at least one of them is, right? Um, but but I remember what was so interesting was, was we moved to that house. This, this guy in retirement, had set up everything so nice. I mean, the landscaping was perfect. There were things in the garage I'd have never thought of, so it was like a two-year-old house he had made modifications on. And it's like I walk in, and sometimes at night, as I was sitting there and enjoying his little man cave, I felt bad for the man because I thought, here he is. He did all this work, and now somebody else behind him is going to enjoy it. Do all this work to get all this stuff, and I don't care who it is, somebody else is going to enjoy it one day, and we're going to be gone. We're going to be gone. It's over, and we're, we're really, really up north, right, okay, at that point, and you'll be better off, but but I'm here to say this. You have to re- remind yourself you are a steward. You're not an owner. That stuff doesn't go with you. It don't fit. It does not make that trip, so you always have to say, I have this for a time, for a season. For a snapshot of who I really am, so what am I doing with it? Let's go one more. Present generosity versus future flexibility. Present generosity versus future flexibility. Let me let me explain what I mean by that. So there are some pendulum will swing this far that you need to do everything that you possibly can be to be so generous right now in the present that you are unable to think about tomorrow. Okay? And there's a lot of good reasoning for that. A lot of times some people will come to me and say, look, you know, James chapter 4 says, you who say today or tomorrow we will go and live in such and such a city and spend a year there, engage in business, make a profit. This is what James says. You don't know what your life's going to be like tomorrow. You're a vapor. He's here for a little while and then goes away. He said, you ought to say this way. If the Lord wills, we'll either do this or we'll do that, right? Now, that's a good place to be. But here's what I see. I have seen people, and really, really listen to me here, because I, I don't want you to hear something I'm not saying. I have seen some people be so present and so generous in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, that all of a sudden when it comes time of their 70s, 80s, 90s, they can't take care of themselves anymore. And so what happens is a lot of times is that they're being so generous and it might even be a really good spirit, right? Some people are in a bad financial position. That's a whole other situation. But some people say, I'm just gonna be as generous as I possibly can be. And they're not thinking about the future. Well, guess what? Somebody's gonna have to take care of you one day. And, and so a lot of times when I'm thinking about, I have this option, I've got this amount of money, and yeah, I could just give it all away right now, or do I need to put some of it back because I realize this, one day, I'm not going to be able to work. My wife's not going to be able to work, and if I'm not smart about the future, guess what? These three down here are going to have to take care of it. And what it could do is it could hinder their ability to be generous at some of the most prime times of their life. Are you following me? So we, we sometimes want to say, well, you just need to be as generous as you can now. I'm saying yes to that. But you also have to be in mind that if you are completely, um, the word that I'm, almost haphazard and just not even thinking about the future, what that does is that's going to hinder somebody else's generosity or not only their generosity, maybe just their own stability and security. I have sat with many people who have buried a parent who all of a sudden inherited a financial crisis they had no idea about right? I thought that house was paid for. I did not realize they had that much credit card debt. And guess who gets that? It's the gift that keeps on giving, right? You you thought it was going to be this, and yet it it changes things. Can I just tell you, I have seen families three to four generations have been affected by financial decisions by somebody along the way. You have to be super, super careful. So um, what's, what's the balance? I think it's ongoing stability. Set up your financial picture where you can be a blessing now without becoming a burden later. If you can be ongoing stable, right? So that yes, you're generous now, yes, you're giving now, but you're also realizing this. How can I also make sure that I'm not gonna be a burden to someone else much later? Is Pastor Travis telling you to save everything you have and not help anybody out? No. What I'm also saying is this you don't have to meet every single possible need now that you have to, other people have to take care of your needs later. There's a balance. There's a balance here, folks. And you really gotta seek seek it and it's hard i i I wish the lord just said well if you'll just do this percent here and that percent there you'll be good it's not that easy right but i have to realize we're always having to think through and we'll we'll get into specifics in the weeks to come um here's proverbs 19 verse 7 all the poor man's brothers hate him (laughs) this is okay this is pretty raw all the poor man's brothers hate him how much more do his friends go far from him he pursues them with words but does not have them what's he saying if you have not taken care of your stuff, and then all of a sudden you are at a place where you're destitute, even your, your family and your friends avoid you like the plague. Because they go, oh man, who's going to take care of that person now? Oh yeah, I guarantee they're coming back asking for money because they've blown the last paycheck they have, whatever it is. So you want to say, how can I be ongoing stable? How can I be earning now and taking care of things now and being generous now, uh, but do it in a way that also doesn't hinder someone else? Does it make sense? We good so far? All right, Um, uh, let's look at this, moral money versus immoral money. I talked about this a little bit this morning, but money is amoral, A-M-O-R-A-L. It's not like it's good or bad. It's what you do with it, right? Um, And so uh, when you think through that moral money versus immoral money, uh, the balance is amoral money, the possession of money does not have a moral value, but the manner in which you use it does, okay? The possession of money does not have a moral value, but the manner in which you use it does, so... The love of money is the root of evil, as, as we'll see here. We have to realize this. Money in of itself is not evil. Money is a blessing. You having a paycheck is a blessing. It's a good gift of hard work of what God provides. But what you do with it can make a huge difference. I'll never forget, um, I was I was a teenager, but I can remember there, you know, there are certain, certain messages and certain things that I can remember over my life. I can remember that there was a big... When I was a teenager, I guess it was the time when the discussion and the vote was coming up about um, uh, uh, video poker uh, being allowed in South Carolina. Y'all remember this? Just a a couple of debates on this issue, right? It's going for the education, okay? That's what what everybody was was selling it as. And I can remember as a teenager, like, why is this a big deal? Apparently it was a big deal, right? Just a little bit. And I can remember as a teenager that um, there was a pastor in our hometown that had uh, written a... Uh, an article in the newspaper, the local newspaper, that said this if somebody won the lottery and they wanted to tithe that money, I wouldn't accept it. That's what this person said. So, a lot of people were asking my pastor, as when I was a kid, what would you do with it? So, he said, Come back Sunday evening and I'll tell you, guess what happened to the Sunday night crowd that night? It was packed, right? It used to be about 15, 20 folks, and it was just like, We, I mean, I'm literally, I can remember as a teenager, I was sitting on the floor going, Where'd all these people come from? You know? And, and his whole thing was this. He said, um, so if somebody had won the lottery or got video poker and they wanted to tithe this church, would I take it? His answer was this. I probably take dirtier money than that every week. I don't know where people are getting their money from. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know how they're getting it. People put it in there and say this, and we take it, and we're trying to use kingdom work. goes, I don't know how, what kind of dirty cash we got going in the offering plate, quite honestly. And his whole thing at, at the point, once again, he was kind of skirting around it, then he finally landed on it, right? But he said this. Um, you know, somebody, same thing, when whoever it was, one of the super— Uh, thing in Simpsonville won the huge lottery and I'm still waiting for one of y'all to come up and say pastor what would you do I would say thank you very much okay like and then after that I would say we need to talk about you know what you're doing right but no here's the thing right that like uh, I would say this that you look at it money in of itself a dollar bill is not moral now how you got it there's morality there what you do with it is there morality there Absolutely, there is. But money of itself doesn't have a moral intrinsic value. So this 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says the love of it is. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. A craving for more money. Causes a whole lot of issues, right? Probably some decisions that we regret. All kinds of things that we've done, uh, finance for, whatever we regret, it was, it was due to a craving. And some wander away from the faith, pierce themselves with many pains from this. Now, um, as we look through this, I want to look at the world's pattern versus God's pattern. This comes from a book. Um, we, we do some crown financial courses around here at the church that we provide from time to time. And this is a great guide that they have in a book called Managing Our Finances God's Way. You've got there, I've got this sort of chart out, but I want to show you the difference between the world's pattern and God's pattern. This is kind of the order in which they say that the world will sort of tell you to do. Acquire stuff, right? Get more stuff. And then as soon as you acquire it, what should you do? Enjoy it. Live it up. As soon as you get that paycheck, go spend it on something. And sometimes you enjoy it so much that you go in debt to enjoy it. And so then what do you have to do? Repay it. And you have to repay it at an interest rate that's a whole lot more than you expected. But after you start repaying all those things, then you can start saving for something you really, really want, and eventually you can get around to giving something away, help somebody else out, and then at the end of this, you might want to start planning, right? That is the world's pattern, if you're not aware, right? So acquire what you can get, enjoy it, repay it, then start saving, then start giving, then start planning. God's pattern is a little bit different, where it says dedicate. Lord, you've given this to me, all of this belongs to you. I know old school uh, church-raised travel would say, well, 10% belongs to God. No, 100% belongs to God, right? So I want to dedicate all of that to him. And yes, I want to at least start by giving him 10% of that right back, maybe more if I can get to it, right? It's not like it's the limit. It's a starting place for me. But I want to dedicate 100% of it. Then I start planning. God, what do, I wanna, what, what do you want me to do with 100% of this? And what's the first thing I want to do? Give. That's what I want to do. I, I want to give. As, as I mentioned, uh, I think in the second service today, sometimes I feel like if I could get both of you all the 9 and 1030, combine them together, and we'd have one good sermon. I can't remember which. I think I said this in the 1030. Um, but when I was meeting with that the lady at the mortgage thing, I remember she says, can you give me all of your bills? And I put the tithe in there, and she goes, I can't count that. And I said, well, I give it every month because we can't count that as a financial, you know, a uh, requirement of yours. And I said, it is a requirement for me by faith. And she goes, but you got to understand, I can't put that on my list of stuff because what are they wanting to do? We could afford a house this much, but she wanted to say, oh, no, no, no. You can afford this one if you'll just stop tithing, right? And, and for me, it was just going to be a non-issue. And I said, okay, well, you can do your figures, but when I go home, I'm putting that in as a bill, right? Um, as a practice, since we were first married, what we started trying to do was 10 percent of the gross pay from our paychecks went right back to the church gross pay not net pay gross is before all those taxes come out and i get it and all that stuff goes away but what is that number that someone has said that they would pay me for whatever job i do let me at least start at 10 percent of the gross pay not the net pay jesus didn't try to just give me just enough he gave me an abundance so let me at least start there right Don't let's try to skimp on this so that's been a practice of ours, to do at least 10% of the gross pay as a starting line and not the finishing line. I would love to be in a place, love, love, love to be in a place one day where I could say, oh, I only have to give 10, what if I could give 20, what if I could give 30, What could, you know, right, I mean, wouldn't that be awesome, like you could just get to those places where you could say, I want to give as much as I can, um, just so you know, because I know someone here is thinking this in your mind, because I've had people all my life say, well, I don't give to the church pastor, but I give to so-and-so who's kind of hurting, and that's my tithe. That's an offering. That's being a good person. That's being kind. A tithe is you saying, I am going to advance the work of a local church, and that's where I'll start. And then I would hope that you'd give even more in abundance to that. And that doesn't mean that that's a cap, right? But here's the reason why. Uh, we put this in, in the budget here at the church, and I think it's important for us to mention. But uh, we wanted you to see that when you give a dollar in that little annual report of that, it's almost... 30-something percent of it goes right out the door right away to missions. I mean, 30-something cents, every time a dollar is put here, is it's not staying in these doors. It's going out to other places. Like, I go, I can't think of a better place to invest a dollar to know that it's going out and helping homeless. It's helping people who have yet to hear the gospel, people who are starving, people who are depressed, people who are doing disaster relief, people who need foster help, people who need adoption. Like, all that stuff goes out, and we get to be a part of it, right? And so with that, the opportunity to give, God's pattern is this. Before you start enjoying and saving and doing all this kind of stuff on you, first start in saying, what can I give away? Because just like we mentioned this morning, if you can't learn to start tithing when you got a little guarantee, you will not do it when you have a lot. You'll you'll get so caught up and you got so many payments on so many things, there's no way to do it. So God's pattern is dedicate everything you have to the Lord, plan how you will live and budget and whatnot, then start giving on top of that, then start saving. Start saving for something that you would like to have. In the coming weeks, we're gonna get real practical, but I can remember the first time reading in something, it says, the next car you need to buy, you need to buy with cash. I laughed out loud. I thought, I only got $55, where's that gonna get me to, right? I can, I can remember a time where I remember, I, I, well, we, we did everything we could, and I remember I bought a car with cash. I said, I'm gonna buy it, whatever I got. All I had was $2,000. We were married, we're family just growing, and I thought, what am I going to do? with 2000? I found this old Mercury Mystique. I could barely fit in it. I looked like one of those clown cars, you know what I'm saying? But I wasn't in debt. And I'm telling you what, that car felt good. <laughs> it, it, because there wasn't that burden, right? And so you start saving. It. And I remember a day when I thought, there's no way I'll ever be able to do that. And, and making some hard decisions back here you can one day, right? So you start saving for those. You do start repaying. There's going to be some things you probably will have to take a loan out on, right? I don't know many people who buy a house after their first year of work, right? Maybe that's how you roll. That's not how I roll, right? But you will maybe repay some things and how you get out of debt. And then here's this other thing. What's that last word in, in God's pattern? I knew it. He didn't want me to enjoy things. No, he really wants you to enjoy things. And I know a lot of marriages that dissolve and a lot of people who are stressed out and they're having to spend all their life trying to repay debt and the thing that they only were gonna borrow $2,000 for, they actually end up spending $3,200 on that purchase because of the debt. And then you go, well, what did you do that $1,200? You threw it away to something else versus something else you could enjoy or benefit someone else or bless someone. And so you get caught up in the world's pattern, let me tell you, it'll mess you up, right? I can remember uh, working at Lander University, helping out there, setting up a table for, for students to come to our college Bible study. And the school wanted to stop our church from having a table at this fair to explain to everybody they could come to our church because they thought we were dangerous. And right next to me was a credit card company giving out free T-shirts and all kinds of stuff if people would just start up with a small line of credit for them. And the university was exploiting that. Why? Because they got a little back every time they did that. And so all these college students were going in debt for bicycles and Xboxes and phones and whatnot, and that was acceptable, but a church was dangerous. Folks, that's the time we live in, right? The world's pattern, the world system is going to say, hey, get it now, pay for it later. God's system is going to say, be content now and be really, really careful in how you use your money. Um, let's, let's look at these last foundational principles, and then um, we'll, we'll, we'll be out of here. But here's some things I want you to really think through Uh, especially in these these coming weeks. First is this, is to say it like this way. I don't have a cash issue. I have a contentment issue. Whatever your situation is right now, I don't think there's anybody in this room that really deep down you'd say you have a cash issue. You might say, no, 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 I really do. I get that. But I think ultimately it comes down to this. I have a contentment issue. There's something deep down inside me that thinks I deserve more than what I have. And that craving, as 1 Timothy 6.10 says, causes me to think and do unwise things. It's not a cash issue a lot of times. It's more of a contentment issue. And so going back, 1 Timothy 6.9, um, with food and covering, with these we will be content. Can I say that? I'm sorry, verse 8. With food and covering, with these we will be content. Can I say I am content in what God has provided for me if I have food and I have covering? And that is a very, very challenging thing for me. Um, I can remember uh, even in those early days and deciding where I was going to work and how I was gonna serve. And once again, uh, when you're out of college, any money is, is great and any kind of provision is great, but it's not exactly what I was thinking. And I can remember a couple years in, someone called me and offered me a job and, uh, and I, I knew the church, and I thought, wow, that's a really big church and really nice church. and they got a lot of people here, and they want me to come in and serve, but I really just didn't feel right about it, didn't feel like it was the right call. And, uh, and I just tell the person, I appreciate you calling, but I don't think so. And he goes, you hadn't asked a question. I said, what question? He goes, the question. This is a pastor. I said, what question are you talking about? He goes, how much does it pay? And I said, sir, you have answered all my questions that I had by that one right there. I'm good. Thank you very much. Hope you find somebody because it ain't me. And I hung up the phone, right? And, and and so deep down though, like I'm sitting here going, yeah, but it'd really be nice to know what that was, right? Like inside of the spiritual moment, you make this decision, and you go, I would really like to know. And I would start struggling with, do I want to do what I feel like God's called me to do? Or do I want to advance my career? And I remember those verses kept coming back to me and I would look and say, do I have food? Yep. Got a whole pack of 12-pack of ramen noodles in the cupboard. Do I have covering? Yep. Got that hole fixed in my double-wide trailer, and it's not leaking anymore, right? I do have everything that I need. I'll be content. And that is a decision, folks. It does not come naturally. It does not come naturally at all. So for you to say, I don't have a cash issue, I have a contentment issue. Here's one more principle. Um, I don't have an amount issue. I have an authority issue. For a lot of people, would say, "Well, if I could just get this much, if I could just have this much in the bank account, if I could just have this in retirement, if I could just have this, uh, and, and what kind of policy, whatever it is, it, it's not about an amount. It's an authority issue, right?" Um, I always laugh because it was funny one day when we were talking about something, and and and, and this is in the way that Amanda said this. It was so funny, but I was going through and saying, "Okay, you know, we got this new life insurance policy, blah blah blah," and she goes, "Oh, what's that number?" And I said, that's the number that you get if I die. She goes, really? I thought, hey, come on, back up, woman. Like, I thought she got a little too excited about that. You know, uh, but, but, you know, you can look at those amounts, right? And you can see things and you can have. And so we just had this running gag, right? That I'm like, if something goes wrong, I know what you're after here, okay? But it, it's not an about an amount issue in, in my own life. Um, I've always had enough. Psalm 37, verse 25, he says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's descendants begging for bread. I've had enough. It's not been an amount issue. There's always been probably something for everybody here that you wish you had just a little bit more. Uh, but it's not an amount issue. A lot of times it's an authority issue. I don't want God putting his nose in my stuff. That's what it comes down to. I feel like that I have the right because, once again, I feel like I'm the owner rather than I'm the steward. And so I, 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 it's an authority issue. I don't want God to tell me what to do. And so I'm going to leave him out of those conversations, those discussions, because I'm worried he's going to take away my joy. And every time at every decision in my life when I've decided to go, especially in the areas of finances, do things his way, they were hard in the beginning, and they reaped so many benefits later. But sometimes they were years later. Sometimes they were absolutely years later and so challenging for me. So the authority piece, the authority issue is, I want God to you to be the Lord of everything that I have, everything that you've given me, and I want to know this. I'm a steward, so if you say, do this, like, I want to do that. Um, I mentioned this morning that some of us will start some principles that may take six years to benefit from. The reason why I say that is um, I can remember years ago we had taught a financial course first few years of ministry and a lady came up to me one day and she just grabbed me on a Sunday morning. She goes, Travis, guess what? I get to tithe today. And I was like, you're not supposed to like brag about that. Like, what do you mean? Like we all get to tithe today. She goes, no, no, no. She's like, you remember that course that we taught here a few years ago? And I was like, that was Six years ago, she said, I was in so much debt, I could not tithe. So many credit card bills, so many payments, all this, I could not tithe. And it has taken me six years to get out of the hole that I was in. But today, I can tithe. That's why I say for some of us, you need to start making some changes now, but you may not be where you want to be for a few years. That's all right. It's a whole lot better than just sort of hoping it's going to get better. That old Uh, That old uh, Chinese proverb says, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. When's the second best time to plant a tree? Today. Right now. You should have done it 20 years ago. I should have done it 20 years ago. You didn't. All right, plant it now. Put that seed in the ground now and start watering it now and see what will happen in 20 years. Having that authority issue, God, I want you to be um, over and see what what I'm doing. And this third one here, I don't have a possession issue. I have a perspective issue. I don't have a possession issue. It's not necessarily about the issues about what you have and what you don't have. Uh, it's a perspective issue. Can you look through the lenses of what you have and say that this is something that God has given, it's a good gift, and I want to steward it well? Now, where that leads us, okay? Okay is that next week what I want us to do is that we are going to unpack with the most uh, as clear and as slow as I possibly can. And I'm probably going to give you more handouts, and we're going to have to probably raise the budget so I can get all the printing done. Sorry, finance team. Uh, But we're going to give you as many handouts and many resources and some downloads on our website that we can give you. But I don't want anybody walking away in these next few weeks going, well, you gave me some concepts, but I don't know what to do. Um, I'm going to show you a couple things that uh, I remember after I had that scare, our first year of marriage where Amanda's like, hey, why don't you take the lead on this? Here's a monthly budget meeting that we started doing, and here's how we started lining up our stuff. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about, um, I won't make anybody come in here with uh, the list of your debts, okay? but I will talk with you how to get through them and how to to help you get progress on them and, and some principles through that. I want to also tell you something we're working on as a church. <laughs> and one of the reasons this is because I hear this all the time. Um, I hear there, there are times where a, a senior adult will tell me that, you know what, I haven't gotten around to doing this and I don't have all my affairs in order. But I'm hearing a lot more also of 30-year-olds who said, I've never put together a will. I'm scared to think about that way. It makes me morbid and I don't like thinking that kind of stuff. We're going to provide this month an opportunity for really every member in the church to be able to sort of get your affairs in order to help you figure that out. Uh, we're working with something called the Baptist Foundation that will help people do that. Um, I can remember not wanting to do a will because it just seemed really, really morbid to me, okay? And, and you know, just I, I don't want to go there. But some of you know the pain of somebody in your family passing and not taking care of stuff and you had to deal with it, right? Some of you have been there and it's, it's not fun to walk with. So we want to sort of help with that. We want to help you think through um, not only that, but how are you investing yourself and in what's a, an appropriate amount for you to be saving for the future and what is probably an exorbitant amount that maybe is just a little bit too much. Like What's, what's a healthy balance there? We'll talk through wisdom there. We want to also help uh, and talk just about uh, what does it mean to be generous? And you go, I knew you were going to do that, Pastor right? But no, it's, it's for me is that I want to look every year as to go, okay, Lord, we were able to do this, but what, what else can we do this year? Um, and so... Uh, I think um, somebody came up to me after the first service, and I I forget the exact quote, but I think it was one of the Wesley brothers um, that this was the quote from uh, Charles Wesley, I believe, maybe John, but it says, you know, make as much money as you can make and give as much money as you can give. Like, that's that's kind of the goal. Like, getting money is not a bad thing. Like, it's a blessing from God. It's always about what you do with it. And so in the next few weeks, I want us to get super, super practical. But here's what I would encourage you to do uh, this week. This will be your homework that you can start doing. I want you to start making an assessment of where you are financially. Just, just getting it all out there. And I know some of you go, oh, that stressed me out. It'll stress you out if you keep it quiet for a little much longer, right? It's going to come and address you at some point in your life. So for you to say, um, some of us need to say, how much do I have, Um, what what debts do I have, what is in my bank accounts, what do I owe, what have I invested, what's in retirement, and just get it all out there, right? And sometimes, this is the way that at least my mind works, sometimes I need to be overwhelmed by it all, and then I can figure out what I need to do next, right? But if I'm just sort of not wanting to look at it, it can keep me ignorant and blissful, okay? And yet, that's not the best approach. And So the next week of your life, I just want to encourage you, start really taking a look at where you are, maybe even where you should be, but maybe where you want to be for the goal of this. I want to be able to take care of my family. I want to be able to be generous, and I don't want to be a burden to anybody else, Okay. That's kind of some rules that I, that I would have. And so I want you to start thinking through that. In the next few weeks, we'll start unpacking a little bit more uh, how we can help and do that. So, Father, tonight I do thank you so much for our church family being able to come and uh, hear some wisdom from your word. We thank you for the Proverbs that are so full of wonderful truths about how our homes and lives and financial pictures can be built by wisdom. And so, Lord, uh, we are not wanting to... Um, make money for making money's sake. We, we don't want to have it just to impress someone else. Um, we want to be able to be wise with the time that you've given us, with the um, money that you've given us, the opportunities that you've given us. We want to be wise stewards of it because we know it doesn't belong to us, ultimately. Um, it won't go with us. But what we do for you, and even with it, that, that does go with us. And so, God, I, I want to live in such a way um, that I, I don't have the burden of being a burden on someone else. I want to live in such a way that also that the way that I contribute and give uh, to others, that I can say that one day when I get to heaven to say, look at these people who uh, received the gospel because I got to help send that missionary out there, or we were able to help start this church, and these people were brought back to spiritual life because of the investment there, and God, look what just that that time that you gave me, look what we were able to do uh, together because you allowed me to have these resources and um, and those moments where I used them wisely, look how you just benefited and multiplied uh, what I was able to do. So, God, we want to be faithful uh, for the person in the room that is in the worst shape, to the person who's in the best shape. We all can do a good self-evaluation, see where we are, to make sure that we're taking care of our affairs, but also to make sure that we are investing for kingdom work. So help us do that. God, give me wisdom and give each of us insight and discernment as we look forward to these things we just want to honor you with everything that you give us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, folks.